Join Ian Garvey as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape your future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show. And today we're going to talk about a very important topic for making better videos, for getting more content out there, really for becoming a total company. And that's overcoming imposter syndrome. And I've got the author of the book, Chris Kelso, and we're going to talk to him in a second. But before we get started, don't forget that this is brought to you by StoryCruise.com, the ultimate resource for finding videographers and editors that know marketing, know how to help grow your business, can help you overcome that imposter syndrome. If you're running EOS or you're running any type of company, one of the best first places to start is with your customer stories. And if you go to storycruise.com slash EOS, you'll be able to learn all about how to find those customer stories and how to get people to craft them and deliver them for you. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, Ian, glad to be here, man. I'm excited to talk to you. You know, when, when we, you know, start talking, you mentioned uh, imposter syndrome. I'm like, this is a huge, huge topic. And we're going to talk about that and how it affects communities. And he's got some great tips on how to improve your community, which is important for your business. But before we get into that, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm a two-time entrepreneur, founded and run a couple of different companies, one a services firm and one a, a technology platform. And, uh, but for the last three to four years, I've been working independently as an executive coach, uh, largely with entrepreneurs and their leadership teams doing strategic planning, leadership development, one-on-one -on -one coaching. Uh, and I'm an EOS implementer. So uh, I've used a lot of the EOS tools that you guys are very familiar with. Uh, as well as some of my own tools in one-on-one -on -one conversations and helping people to set clear goals and uh, execute against those goals. Love it. And, um, you know, when it comes to, you know, how did you get into the world of EOS? Because I'm always interested in this. How did you find it and how did you start implementing it? Yeah. So as I said, I've run a couple of different companies and for years I would always pull together my own set of tools and processes from a lot of different sources, you know, the Vern Harnish and Patrick Lincioni and Jim Collins and all of these different places. And the first time that I read Traction by Gino Wickman, uh, it was like, oh my goodness, somebody has pulled all of this stuff together in a way that is so elegant and so well-designed that now I don't have to pull together my own set of tools because someone's done that for me. Uh, and I love that Gino in the book admits that uh, he didn't create all the stuff. He pulled it from all of these great thinkers and really synthesized it all together. So it was really uh, sort of a, a realization that, you know, I'd been putting all this together myself and suddenly there was a really clear layout of a plan that I could use and in particular use with my clients and other people that I was working with where the manual was already written and the tools were already there. Uh, so it just made a lot of sense. Why reinvent the wheel when someone's done it so well? Yes, exactly, exactly. But it, to your points, Gino improved upon it. You know, he's been on the show. We know him really well. He's a great guy. Yeah. And, you know, he admits to it and improves upon it, but still is the expert. And I think that's a perfect yes. segue into imposter syndrome. Where did you start to realize it? You know, where did, well, let's first of all, just identify what it is in case anyone doesn't know. Sure. Yeah. Imposter syndrome 
It's a psychological term that was coined in the 1970s, and it refers to the tendency of many people, it turns out, to overvalue the accomplishments of others and undervalue their own accomplishments. And so what happens is, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a thought leader, a speaker, whatever, I may look at Ian Garlick and say, man, he really, he really seems to know what he's doing and he's made all the right moves and he's educated and he's savvy and he's, he's done some great things. And my success on the other hand has really been the result of a lot of luck and good timing and just happening to know the right people or be in the right places. And, and I know about the thousands of mistakes that I've made along the way and just happened to manage to figure it out and get to where I am but I don't see that part of your story. So it's easy for me to think that, you know, you or someone else is the real entrepreneur, the real thought leader. And I'm just sort of a little bit of a fraud and I'm just kind of making it up as I go. And the underlying fear behind imposter syndrome is that at some point, someone is gonna figure out that I don't really know everything that people seem to think I do and that I'm just sort of making this up as I go and figuring it out along the way. And if that happens, it's all gonna come crumbling down around me. And the reality is that many people feel this way. In fact, some studies say that up to 70% of the population experiences imposter syndrome at some point in their career. And it tends to be more prevalent among high achievers. So the more uh, aggressive you are, the more innovative you are, the more you push the boundaries and strive for bigger and better things, the more likely you are to at some point feel like man, I really don't know what I'm doing. And I hope nobody ever figures that out. <laughs> you know, I laugh about this because over the years, you know, my best clients have, are the, you know, the smartest clients, the ones that I say by best, I mean, the, the, the best in their field often have yeah. the greatest imposter syndrome. And it's like getting over that. It's like, and it's tough. And on a side note, I want to talk a little bit about that population because I think that population correlates to some other psychological st stats, but I want to know when did you first, like, when did you uncover this and go, hey, I need to fix this? Yeah. Well, it was just uh, a few years ago that I really learned about imposter syndrome and started to study it. Because once I heard about it and sort of read the definition, I immediately recognized that that was something I had dealt with throughout my career and especially as an entrepreneur for the past 14 years. When I started my first business, I had no business training whatsoever. I don't even have a college degree. And so I really went into it feeling like I had a lot to learn and I learned a lot really quickly, but I, I never knew if I had learned enough. I never knew if I had learned the right things. You know, I always worried that there would be some group of educated business people and they would bring up some topic or some concept that was taught on the very first day of business school. And I would have no idea what they were talking about and suddenly they would all realize that I didn't, I wasn't worthy or I didn't deserve to be in that group. And so I struggled with that, you know, throughout my career as I learned and I grew, and even as I started to help and mentor other entrepreneurs and I was being asked to speak and do all these other things, I just wondered, have these people just not figured out that I'm really, I'm, I'm still learning this stuff. I'm still figuring these things out. And so when I realized that imposter syndrome was a thing, that psychologists had identified it and that a lot of people deal with it, first of all, it was a huge relief to know that those feelings are normal and that I'm not the only one that feels that way. But then I began to study it and to talk with other entrepreneurs about it. And I learned number one, that it's very prevalent. 
I, I see it in almost all of my clients and in different ways among many of the entrepreneurs I know. And secondly, that people aren't aware and, and the ones that are aware don't feel comfortable talking about it because it deals with insecurity. It deals with fear. And you know, entrepreneurs are supposed to be so bold and so brave and so courageous. And in many ways we are, that doesn't mean we have no fear. And it doesn't mean we don't ever feel insecure or in over our heads. So the reason I wrote the book, Overcoming the Imposter, is really to just blow open this idea that we have to pretend this doesn't exist and to, to give people a tool and a way to start a conversation and talk openly about insecurities so that we can get past them. Because you can get past them, but it requires you to open up and talk about them with other people in order to get past them. Yes. And it's important to get past I mean, how does imposter syndrome affect a business, affect an entrepreneur? How do you see it affecting them? You know, with your EOS clients, how do you see it affecting yeah. their business? Yeah, it can be an annoyance if it's minimal, but if it's allowed to really dominate, it can become extremely detrimental and even debilitating. Um, when, you, when you have this internal fear that you're going to be exposed, you start hedging, you start protecting, you start avoiding any kind of risk or any situation where you might be in over your head or viewed as a failure. And Ian, you know very well as a business owner or business leader, as a marketer in any of these professions, you have to be able to take risks. You have to be able to experiment and to try things. And you have to be able to fail in order to learn in order to succeed. One of the biggest learnings and revelations that I had in this process of writing this book is that failure is part of the process of success. And if you're afraid of failure, you're not going to succeed because you're never going to take the risks that are required and you're not going to learn the things that are only learned through failure that eventually get you to success. So it holds you back by causing you to just play it really, really safe, protect your image rather than taking risks and acknowledging weaknesses. And it puts, it puts really tight boundaries on what's possible in your business and in your career. I, I agree completely, you know, and I see that all the time, I, you know, especially because we do video and I am encouraging people to do video. I think the people that really need to be out there educating people are the ones that have imposter syndrome. They're like, oh, I need to learn one more thing or I need to learn yes. this before I can put myself out there. Do you see it holding back, you know, companies marketing? Yeah, I do. I see it uh, holding back. It's similar to, to what you're talking about is the when you feel like you haven't learned it all or you haven't mastered something and you're not willing to step out and start, um, you're just, you continue to wait for some magical appointment of you've arrived and you're now qualified to do whatever it is you're setting out to do. So things like video, people won't do it because they don't feel like they understand it fully or they have all the right technology or they're you know ready to produce it at the quality that they want it to be and the answer is the way you get all of those things is by trying and maybe failing maybe succeeding but not quite as well as you thought and then making incremental improvements but that unwillingness to start being held back by the fear of failure and imposter syndrome keeps you from making the strides you need to make to become great, to get the content right, to engage with your audience and get the feedback that you need mm -hmm. to hone your message and tune it perfectly. If you, if you wait to have your message perfect before you ever speak it to anyone, 
you'll never have that message perfect because it's only through that feedback and that trial and error that you you really fine tune your message. Yeah, and you know, I always think of stand-up comedians. Like the best ones yeah. in the world are getting up there and and bombing. And, and bombing. you know, and right. Chris Rock, you know, is a great example. He goes up there and he goes and does stand-up shows and in, in little places and bombs because that's it gets that feedback gets that feedback gets that feedback and and i think every business needs that why do you think why do you think their businesses are afraid of this why do you think where does that fear come from is it a fear of loss or where is that well it is and and you know studies have shown that the fear of loss is greater and more impactful than the anticipation of gain that we fear losing something more and we'll, we'll take action based on a fear of loss more readily than we will the opportunity to gain something. And so we have to overcome that. I, I think companies fear the loss of their reputation, of the maybe the brand quality that they do have. They don't want to put that at risk to try for something even greater. But I think so much of that is rooted in this false idea, this false sense that failure is fatal, that making a mistake is going to sink you and that people are not forgiving and people are not willing to move beyond whatever mistake or whatever poor message you may have given in the past. I mean, we, we should know this because we live in a world today where there's so much information that almost everything you see in here is forgotten instantly. And yet we assume <laughs> that if we say something wrong or we do something badly, it will never be forgotten. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so we have to get past this idea that any little mistake is gonna just tear us down and is so risky and realize that those mistakes are the stepping stones to getting it right. Yeah, and you know, I laugh because I I hear that all the time and everyone's so afraid. I'm like, you you don't remember what you posted 30 days ago. Right. And if if someone does remember, they are a rabid fan or they really, really hate you. Either way, you know, they're paying attention to you and whatever your politics were, what we learned in the last administration is you can do whatever you want. Because <laughs> pe- if you do enough of it, people are going to forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People have short memories. And it's such a good point. But let's uh, let's talk about the flip side. Because obviously, I, I, I'm assuming you've helped some companies overcome those imposter syndrome. Can you tell me a few of those stories of, you know, what it's done for people when they've overcome it? Yeah. You know, I've worked with a lot of um, entrepreneurs, especially in the early stages um, where they, you know, they're spending a lot of time on what I call productive procrastination. (laughs) Yes. They're, they're doing lots of things that make them feel like they're making progress, but they're not actually moving the needle. They're not actually out there winning clients and bringing in revenue because they're setting up their website and they're organizing their office and they're, you know, getting all of their house in order on things. And a lot of that comes from that fear of that encounter with a customer or an opportunity. And so, you know, you have to stare that fear in the face and you have to recognize that the, the thing that you fear is exactly what you need. And that when you get it, when you get that feedback, it's actually going to help you overcome that fear because you're going to realize it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's not as even bad feedback is not as painful as we anticipate it being. So we need to get it because that's how we learn and move forward. So yeah, I've worked with a a lot of uh, clients and, and entrepreneurs over the years who just need the courage to take those initial steps 
or the next step. Maybe it's a company that's well-established, but they've just hit a ceiling and they can't seem to go to the next level because they've got to take a new risk. They've got to change something that's always worked before and do it differently now to, to take it to the next level. Well, tell me a little bit about you know, your EOS clients, your, the people you're co- coaching leadership. What types of clients do you work with? Yeah, most, most of my clients are between two and 25 million in revenue. And I have a lot of, um, I have a lot of clients in technology and some in healthcare because of my background. But overall, my clients span a wide range of industries. One of the things I love about the work that I get to do is that I, work, I get to work in so many different industries and see so many different business models. So I, I work with companies in construction and in financial services and marketing firms and uh, creatives and uh, entertainment and technology and so all different types of businesses. And one of the beautiful things about EOS, of course, is that it applies to almost any type of organization, even nonprofits. I've done EOS with an international nonprofit organization. I've seen it implemented in churches and all sorts of organizations because it's the fundamentals of leadership and communication and and getting a clear and compelling strategy. My name is Gino Wickman. I decided that I want to start to put great video content out to the world. And so the goal was one great video every week. And, and so I was introduced to Ion and, and that's what brought me into this video world and got me embracing this video world and having a great strategy around putting videos out to the world. Cause there's so much more than just shooting a video. And so the way that he positions those videos, optimizes those videos, done a great job love it and um so you know as you're rolling this out and uh, you know and is there a client a type of client that's really worked with as far as imposter syndrome identifying it overcoming it or like eos does it work with everyone you know i it's been really interesting because i wrote this book primarily two and four entrepreneurs but the feedback that I've gotten as, as people have gotten it in their hands and shared it with others um, has been that it is much more widely applicable to that. So not only is it not just for a certain type of business, it's really not just about business owners and business leaders. Um, I've heard from fighter pilots, from school teachers, from pastors, from uh, corporate executives, from people from all different kinds of walks of life who have said that this book, Overcoming the Imposter, and the idea of turning imposter syndrome and the, that inner doubt and inner critic from a, from a liability to an asset and actually learning how to leverage it to, to, to motivate you, that that resonates with so many different audiences. So um, it's really pretty wide reaching and I've been surprised and really delighted to see the kind of impact that it's had so far. It's fantastic. I mean, it's a great subject. And it's an important subject. And it's something I talk with clients all about. And coming back to the stats, because I've worked with some, you know, quote unquote, big name people over the years. And it's amazing because the stats that you have for people that have imposter syndrome mirror the stats for people who are, I use the word sociopath at a high level, not psychopath, but, you know, are narcissistic. I think the only people that don't have imposter syndrome are narcissists. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I've, 
I've, I've said many times you you either have a little bit of that self-doubt or you're just narcissistic. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I see it all the time. And cause I've worked with these people. I'm like, Whoa, this is a person, you know, it seems like a really cool person. And then they're very much a narcissist. I'm like, Oh, that's how they're able to put so much content out. Yeah. And, you know, and they get tons of content out and they don't care and they just do it, do it, do it. Cause they, they're like, I'm right. But the people that, like we've said, the people that really need to get video content out, need to get marketing out are the ones probably that have imposter syndrome. Now that said, now you're going to, a, uh, you know, help a client overcome that. And let's talk about in the context of EOS, because EOS is very structured. Like it, it's, you shouldn't just go out tomorrow and start working on imposter syndrome. How do you right. incorporate that into the EOS structure? It's an interesting question. I think that one of the things EOS does, it provides you a framework that you know works. So it's been proven, it's been used in thousands and thousands of companies. And so, you know, instead of having to come up with it on your own and create it by yourself, you can use a framework that works. I, I, I talk with my clients a lot about knowing their lane and their skill and, um, and relying on other experts for the things that they don't do well or don't know, or just simply don't need to be spending their time on. So, you know, when I talk about overcoming imposter syndrome, what I'm not talking about is being completely confident that you can do everything everywhere in every area of your life, you can achieve mastery, and you can be just a brilliant jack of all trades and master of all trades somehow. Um, that's not feasible. Right, So we still have to recognize what are the things that I can develop mastery and, and what are the areas that I need to rely on other experts. And I think that you know, EOS is one of those tools that you can look at a business leader and say, don't create your own method for establishing your culture and setting a clear vision and trying to track progress and measure accountability and all that. That's not what you do brilliantly. Use a system that already works and you can spend your emotional energy and your mental cycles on being great at the thing you're uniquely gifted to do. And that will help people overcome imposter syndrome because they, they feel like they don't have to be all things to all people. They don't have to be the best at everything. And being a business leader doesn't mean you have to have all the answers it means you have to be willing to go out and find the answers. And sometimes the answer is a framework like EOS rather than having to create it all for yourself to feed your own ego or feel like I'm a CEO because I made all of this happen without any help. Yep. And, and that's, that's great, great advice. I mean, I think that's probably one of the most important things as business leaders grow is understand that they shouldn't do everything themselves. Yeah. And, you know, and they shouldn't incorporate, you know, I work with, we work with a lot of digital agencies and we're, we're a digital agency and they come to us for video and they come to story crews for video because they're smart enough to go, Hey, we don't have to do everything. You don't have yes. to do every aspect of marketing. Yeah. We should go to the person that does it. And you admitting that actually makes you a better person, not a smaller person. And so how, you know, in the context of all this, do you work with clients on overcoming that? How do we start to identify and overcome imposter syndrome? So awareness is one of the biggest steps. In the, in the book, I talk about the fact that awareness is, is half the battle. Uh, and I, I quote, you know, the old uh, G.I. Joe cartoons from when, uh, when you and I were kids. 
mm-hmm. uh, when they would say knowing is half the battle and you know, really <laughs> becoming aware of it uh, does get you a, take you a long way towards getting there. But there's some additional things that you have to do. You have to change your thinking. You have to start to view success and failure differently. Um, and, and in particular, as I mentioned earlier, seeing failure as a stepping stone to success is an important part of changing your mindset, changing your frame of reference to what constitutes uh, success in your life and career. Um, another thing that I recommend for everyone, and I outlined it in the book, is that you be very intentional about building your community. You build uh, a community of peers, people that are on the same journey with you, that you can you can talk with, that you can share with, that you can be open with, um, and that you also have mentors and coaches and advisors in place for those things that you need to learn and grow and develop. Uh, I've had multiple executive coaches in my career, and now I'm an executive coach in part because I saw the value and power of having a coach to work with on a regular basis and to get an outside perspective, someone who's going to challenge you, but has your best interest and your development in mind. And then I also encourage people to have someone that they're mentoring. This is a a key idea in the book as well, is that teaching and learning are not mutually exclusive. You Mm -hmm. can do both at the same time. And in fact, teaching is a great way to learn. And so I'm a believer that everyone should have a mentor, a coach, a consultant, advisor, somebody that they are looking up to and reaching out to for help. And they should also be mentoring someone, helping someone along the way so that they're a link in the chain and we're continuing to both learn and teach. We're getting mentored while we're mentoring. And those things will help you to really have the right perspective on your own situation, your own expertise, and will help to erode those feelings of imposter syndrome, those feelings of self-doubt and not feeling like you're up to the task. Not only is it important, I think, to mentor, but realize, according to imposter syndrome, one of my favorite books for a long time is Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. And, um, you know, they did a study and the people that help someone the most are the person that's closest, slightly ahead of that person. You you know, and I talk about this all the time. It's like you following Gary Vaynerchuk, if you're just starting your entrepreneurial journey, is not the best thing for you. I love Gary. He's been on the show. Yeah, but he's yeah. so far ahead of ninety nine point nine point nine 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 percent of us that right. It's it's that person that you know. Hey, you want your LLC done? I just did an LLC. Let me help you because I don't yes. remember. You know, it's been ten years since I've done mine. Yeah. I, <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that's a great great point. Um, yeah, those people that are just one or two steps ahead of you can be so valuable, and yet we have to realize that we are always one or two steps ahead of someone else Mm -hmm. who's looking to us and make sure you're always willing to look back and say, who else can I sort of help take the next step and bring along on this journey? Uh, And that'll help you to realize that you're, you have a lot to offer and you have learned some things. You have figured some things out that someone else sees as valuable. Yes. And and so you know, you've got the book, Overcoming the Imposter. You go to uh, overcomingtheimposter.com. We'll put that in the show notes. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's down below. Uh, there's a picture of it. There's a photo. And you, yeah. There's a photo. Actually, the book. It's not even the a book. photo. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's Chris K. If you're listening, it's K-R-I-S-K-E-L-S-O. Um, so, and then you, your website is chriskelso.com. And that's how someone can work with you. But, you know, shifting over a little, I want to talk a little bit about you know, what you saw happen in 2020 and 
how companies succeeded and what you see coming up in 2021, especially like in using this in their marketing and improving it, because I saw a video being crucial and people getting out there and people overcoming the imposter syndrome are the people that succeeded. I don't know if you saw the same thing. What did you see in your clients? Yeah. You know, among my clients, the, the companies that did well in 2020 were the ones that were connected, that were not isolated, that were not, you know, in their own cocoon. And in particular, I saw some companies that really, they, they pulled back. They tried to cut everything out. They, they disconnected and they tried to, you know, go into survival mode and sort of cocoon up and just see if they can weather the storm. And that didn't work well for a lot of people, unfortunately, um, because the storm ended up being a lot longer than many of us thought it would be when it first started. And, and we still don't know what the end looks like. So um, the companies that did well remained connected and they, they pivoted. And a lot of them did pivot to video and online uh, messaging and communication, both from an internal standpoint with remote employees and figuring out how to you know, leverage video conferencing to keep their business running, as well as how they met with customers, how they engaged with the marketplace, the things that they did to reach out. Uh, it had to change by necessity. We couldn't do all of the in-person meetings and events and coffee shops and things that we had been used to for years past. And so companies had to adapt. And the ones that adapted quicker made ground and got ahead of the pack. And the ones that just decided to wait it out until we can go back to the way things were, they're now starting to figure out that things may not go back to the way they were for a very long time and maybe never quite to the same level as they were. So the, the willingness to change and evolve is really, really critical, especially in times like we've just experienced. Yeah. And what do you see, you know, what are you advising? Now you talk about changing and evolving. How are you advising your, your clients, you know, and, and, and their EOS structure to make plans? Because part of EOS, which I love about it is making a plan, making a vision for what's happening. Yeah. How are they altering that vision? How are they adapting and stay ad adaptive while still staying within a structure? Yeah. One of the things I've noticed is that th as the world continues to change at a faster and faster pace, the, the longer range plans are less and less valuable. And we have to start to think about a direction and a picture of where we want to go, but keep the planning, the detailed planning and the tracking and measuring of progress very near term so that we can change and iterate rapidly. And that's really also one of the things I enjoy about EOS, appreciate about EOS is that you know, we don't do a, a five-year strategic plan or a big long plan. We create a three-year picture that is how we want things to look three years from now, but we don't know how we're going to get there. And then we focus on a one-year plan and especially on quarterly rocks, quarterly priorities uh, that we're going to execute against. And once a quarter, we look up and say, A, how do we do? B, how has the world changed, which is becoming an ever more important question to ask on a regular basis. Uh, and then C, what do we need to do next and where are we going to go from here? And so those priorities change on a, on a regular basis based on how the world is changing, how the marketplace is changing, how our industry is changing. Some of my clients, their industries were completely disrupted. I, I worked with a company who specialized in live events. That was what they did. And they had to completely pivot, um, but they're still alive. They still are, they're doing now virtual events. They've 
created a studio and done, you know, all sorts of great things to shift to what's possible now. And you have to be agile enough to pivot in those moments uh, when your industry is just blown up. And so long range, you know, picture of where you want to go, but short term planning and a regular revisit of, you know, what do we need to do differently is, is super important. Yes. And, you know, it's same thing, like market, marketing changes every day. And I tell people this, I'm like, it's yeah. going to change. We have, a, we have no, I, people come to me all the time. I'm like, well, what do you want this to do for your business? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, you know, how am I going to get there? But also if you say I want X, Y, Z to happen, I'm like, you have to be ready to change um, yeah. and, and adapt. But that's where the opportunity lies. Yes. And, and That's where the opportunity lies. Always. You know, when, when I saw when the, you know, pandemic happened, I told everyone, I'm like, this is where you got to put the pedal to the metal. And this is where you got to, you know, adapt and get in front of your clients and use video because it was a huge opportunity. And it was, and we saw it, but bring it back to the imposter syndrome. How do you feel imposter syndrome prevents that change, prevents that adapting? Because I think that that awareness probably will help a lot of people. You know, it comes back to that that fear of taking a risk and trying something for the first time. One of the things that I discovered looking at my own history and my career and the things that I've accomplished and that I wrote about in the book is that the realization that every notable achievement, every thing I've ever accomplished that I'm proud of was preceded by the same thing. And that is a lack of experience. Mm -hmm. Every time I ever did something for the first time, the one thing that was the same is it was the first time I was doing it. And so I had to come to a realization that doing something for the first time is the predecessor to greatness. It's the predecessor yep. to success and accomplishment. And you have to be willing to lean into trying something new as a way to make big strides rather than worrying about, like we talked about before, the people that won't go into video because they don't have it all just right, or they won't unleash their new brand or message on the world because they feel like it's not fine-tuned enough. Um, you've got to you've got to put it out there. You've got to take a step and you've got to be willing to change even what you've put out. Be willing to admit we may have gotten it wrong and we may need to tweak it and we've got to evolve as we learn. Yeah. And that's the I mean that's the beauty of what we have now is it's it's not print. I mean so many people yes. are doing print, but it's like you know, unless you're doing a super commercial, a Super Bowl commercial, you've got, a you know, you got a ton of, yeah, even a book though, these days, you, yeah, you, you can, can adapt, you can change. Yeah. Those books, I mean, most of them are printed on demand and then you can shift and change and change it out. And 90% of us are on Kindle. Um, yeah. You can, you can yeah. change it out. And, and, and that's the huge opportunity. But like you said, it's, it's that confidence that, Hey, I can do this and it, it's going to pull back. Um, you know, it, it just reminds me too of a great quote, a thing I learned from John Maxwell too. He, was, he talked about it in every business that he, he, he took a risk. There was always a pullback before going mm. up higher and you yeah. have to, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, it's, and it's the confidence, not, not, not the confidence that you're going to get it right the first time, the confidence that you can eventually get it right, right? Mm -hmm. That's the big difference is if you wait for the confidence that I've nailed it on try number one, you're probably never going to get there or you're going to be way too late when you finally get there. Yep. But you have to have the confidence to know that I can figure it out and I will figure it out and we will try and fail and try again and eventually we will succeed. That's the confidence that will allow you to take those risks. 
And you get that in many ways by looking back at your track record, at your history and saying, when have I failed and gotten up and tried again and succeeded? When have I failed my way to success in the past and leverage that experience to do this new thing again? I think that's probably one of the biggest things out there and is, you know, in most people's fear is a fear of loss and they get, get upset and they say the world's horrible and it's because they don't believe in themselves. Right. Yeah. And, and they don't believe because bad stuff's going to happen to you and you're going to try right. new stuff out and it's not going to work. I mean, yeah. and you know, and you look at anything out there, it didn't work the first time. It was a piece of crud the first time. There's no, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything out there that was perfect the first time, but that's, that's yeah. such a valid point. Um, and how do you regularly, you know, put this in check? How do you coach your clients, you know, coach those CEOs, coach them because I feel like the people that are really, really great, like we talked about, this probably will creep up over and over again. Yeah, it, it, it does creep up over, especially if you are trying new things. So, you know, if you do one thing and you do it all of your life and you sort of make a loop over and over and over again, you just run the same business and you stay in the same place and you, you never change anything, eventually you got that on lock. And you're not going to have those feelings of self-doubt and, and you're going to be really comfortable and really confident. But for me and for people like me, I'm not satisfied with that. I'm always trying to learn something new. I'm always trying to do something different. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and I think a lot of people in the marketing space are you know, really interested in what's next, what's coming, what opportunities are there, where can we go? And so you, you have to be willing to encounter those feelings of doubt when you embark on something new. Um, for instance, for me, writing a book, I had to deal with my imposter syndrome about being an author. This is my first book that I've ever written. Mm. And I wasn't sure that I was up to the task. And so I got some coaching. I got some help. I brought experts around me to help me figure out the pieces I didn't know and understand. And then I got to work on it. But I definitely had those feelings of, man, you're, Chris, you're not an author. Chris, you're not up to the, the you're, you're great at talking and coaching, but to write all this down and make it clear to produce a quality product, man, maybe that's just not me. And, uh, and I had to put into practice some of the same tactics and techniques that I wrote in the book. I had to use those on myself to say, no, this is a new thing. It's a challenge. I'm going to make some mistakes. It's not going to go perfectly, but I can do it. And I've got to push forward and not let those fears hold me back. Yeah. And I appreciate that, that you know, the vulnerability because it is, but it's the truth. I mean, there's very few authors out there. Like I wrote this book. It's awesome. It's like almost everyone writes something and yeah. then right away. They're like, Hey, this sucks. Same thing with video. You know, I've talked to clients all the time. I'm like, yeah, I wish I said something different. And I'm like, you, no one's going to know that. No one's going to know that. Even the author Maya Angelou, after she had written, I think her 11th book, she was quoted as saying, yeah, every time I publish a book, I think this is the one, this is the time they're going to figure out that I really don't know what I'm doing. And I'm just a hack. And I'm just a, you know, that, that she felt like I'm, I'm the jig is up. They're going to figure it out this time and it's not going to work um, after all those books. Um, and I think anybody that is successful and is growing and has a healthy self-image that isn't just completely narcissistic. I think they're going to experience that and you have to learn to recognize it 
and you can see it as a good sign, right? That the, those feelings of self-doubt mean you are pushing outside your comfort zone. So I've learned to see those feelings as, a, a, as evidence that I'm about to do something great, as evidence that I'm taking a risk that could result in incredible things happening and to lean into those feelings rather than to run from them. Yeah, I mean, that's, and that's a great trigger. That's a great relief, you know, something to, to make happen. Uh, you know, my, yeah. my friend, and I do a lot of business with him, Jason Swank, we talk about this all the time. It's like, I'm really nervous about this thing. That means I probably should be doing it. Yes. And, and changing that response around is a huge switch. Yeah. That's yeah. Huge... And, and similarly, when you're around people that intimidate you, you know, when you're in a crowd and you think I'm the only person that doesn't deserve to be here or doesn't measure up, well, that's a great place to be. That means you're probably going to learn something. It means you may have some doors open for you that you wouldn't get otherwise. And so, you know, it, when you feel like I need to get out of here because I don't belong, that's a sign that you may need to lean in and see what you can get from that valuable, powerful group of people that you're with. Well, yeah, it's so important to be around people that are better than you. Not, and yeah. not because they're not better than you at everything. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> the, right. There's no one in the world that's better than you at everything. There's better at a certain thing. They've had, everyone's had mm -hmm. some luck. Everyone has yeah. had different chances. And so, you know, honestly, we talked about the beginning, but you talked, mentioned community and how does imposter syndrome affect building a community and how can you use the tools that you're talking about to build a community? Yeah. There's a key ingredient that, makes the difference of whether community works for you or against you. And I'll go ahead and give it to you, Ian, that for just for your audience, the spoiler is that the key ingredient is vulnerability. If you're a part of a community, if you're in a, if you're in a circle of entrepreneurs or you're in a circle of marketing experts, or you're connected to, to people that, that may know a lot and may have a lot to offer you, but no one's willing to be vulnerable no one's willing to, to say, yeah, I struggle with that too. Or here's the area that I feel like I'm weak. Or if everybody's just putting their very best foot forward and they've got their game face on and they're pretending that everything is awesome, that community is going to work against you. That community is going to feed imposter syndrome. It's going to mm -hmm. make you feel more like a fraud, like you don't belong. On the other hand, if you are part of a community where people are willing to open up and say, yeah, I struggle with that too. Or I don't exactly know what to do here. Or sometimes I feel like, you know, maybe I'm just figuring this out as I go. That community is going to encourage you. That community is going to build you up. That community is going to erode your feelings of imposter syndrome because you're going to realize that we're all on a journey together. And just like you said, Ian, that, that no one has it all perfect. No one is an expert at everything. We've all got those areas of weakness and struggle. We've all got areas that we have to get help with. And we're all on a journey of trying to learn something else to make ourselves better. So vulnerability in a community is really, really important and really, really powerful. And if you don't have it, you can create it. It's immensely risky and it's hard to do. But if you start to be vulnerable, you can unlock those doors to open other people up and I've seen this, I've got some stories in the book about this where, where I stepped into a situation and I just laid it out and suddenly everyone opened up and the whole culture, the whole, the whole atmosphere of the group changed because we went from 
everybody trying to present as the very best to everyone really just saying, here's where I'm struggling, let's help one another. And it was a completely different story from that point. That's, it's fantastic and it's tough to do. It is really, really tough to do, but every time someone does that, they become more authentic, they improve their messaging, they stand out and, and also they enjoy life more, don't they? I mean, yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot not... of the pressure off. It does. It really does. And, and once you do that a few times and you realize the power and the value of it, it does become easier. Because what I've learned, Ian, is when I get in a group of people, if I'm vulnerable and I admit that I have weaknesses, that I have flaws, that I have insecurities, if those people appreciate that and they, and they lean into that and they open up too, then I know those are the people I want to be around. If they don't, if they punish me for that, if they ridicule me for that, if I'm, you know, shunned or 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 ousted because of my vulnerability, well, then I learned something too. I learned those are the people that I don't want to be around. I don't want to do mm-hmm. business with. So, I've learned that that's a tool. When I'm vulnerable, it sort of draws a line in the sand and says, "Hey, you're you're either with me or you're not. You're either on board with this kind of authenticity." or you're not the kind of people that I want to do business with. And so I don't fear the people that reject me. I had someone while I was writing this book and I, I kind of explained to somebody what it was and, and somebody just totally lambasted me for the book. They said, it's a terrible idea. Nobody's going to read it um, because they didn't think that entrepreneurs feel any imposter syndrome. And they just, they what? just, he just, he just ridiculed it. And what? so but I just immediately, I, I was really nice to the guy and I said, thank you. I appreciate your honest opinion. And, um, and I just knew from immediately that that was not somebody I was going to do business with because fr- frankly, he was delusional. But uh, I mean, that's, the great I, thing I, is I put that story <laughs> in the book. So it's memorialized and, uh, and you can read about exactly what he said and, and what my response was there. But yeah, I, it, it was a it was a point for me where I knew, okay, this, this person and I are just not going to see eye to eye and I don't need to pursue this business relationship because he's, he's either, he's either not willing to be authentic or he's just completely delusional because he doesn't see what's obviously going on among the entrepreneurial community. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I guess I just have so many friends that are entrepreneurs that I hear it all the time. I think it's probably, probably, you know, among the really, really good ones, the guys that really know their stuff, it's probably the biggest problem. That's why I was excited to have you on here is because I think overcoming it and the more people overcome it, the more authentic yeah. they're going to be. And also it's going to help future entrepreneurs because that's one thing too, is the people that put up this facade of I'm perfect and everything's great hurts all the future entrepreneurs. It absolutely and- does. Yes, you're right. It hurts. And um, th- there's another story in the book about a young entrepreneur that I met who had landed some money from a big name investor and he was trying to grow his company, but he was giving me the sales pitch. I mean, he was giving me the full, like everything is awesome kind of story. And I could tell that that wasn't the full story. And so I just started opening up to him and I told him about my entrepreneurial journey. I told him about some of my struggles and my, you know, fears and insecurities and, and his, his eyes began to water. He teared up and he said, this is the first real conversation I've had with anyone about how hard this is. And that was the moment right there. I, I, I had extended him a lifeline because he saw all these other entrepreneurs around him being 
superheroes. And he felt like he had to measure up to that. And he knew he couldn't because he wasn't a superhero. He was a guy with a business idea and he's got a great business idea. But uh, by me opening up and being vulnerable, it let him know that he was okay and that he could let his guard down and acknowledge that it wasn't all perfect. And we built a great relationship and had some awesome conversations after that. But it was a really powerful moment for me because I realized that vulnerability is such a powerful tool. And, and I've used it to help other entrepreneurs who are stuck in that comparison trap. They're stuck in that lie of what an entrepreneur has to be. And, uh, and once you release somebody from that, uh, it's so freeing. It's so, so freeing. That's fantastic. I love it. Well, well, I think that's a great place for us to stop. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's been a fantastic conversation. Well, if someone wants to work with you, if they're a business looking to implement EOS, um, what's the best way to get in touch with you, Chris? Yeah, the easiest way to find me is chriskelso.com. And that is Chris with a K. Um, I'm also on, uh, I'm pretty active on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So as long as you remember my name starts with a K, it's easy to find me. Um, the book is at overcomingtheimposter.com um, and it's available on all uh, major book publisher websites and uh, independent bookstores can order it. Um, so you can get it just about anywhere books are sold. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sure a lot of people will reach out to you. Thank you, Ian. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. Um, and thank you all for listening to Chris and I and take us on your journey. This has been the Garlic Marketing Show brought to you by StoryCruise.com. Video. You know it'll make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads. Better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? StoryCruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 